Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini So This is number 56. Uh, sorry that uh, we did not put this out last week, and in fact, we're even a day late this week. Um, just... I was out of town and we couldn't make the schedule thing happen. So, um, yeah, sorry about that. But I wanted to say a special thank you to Corbin Burnson for being on the show a couple weeks ago. And I wanted to welcome in anybody who found out about the show as a function of his appearance. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I really, uh, it's not unlike a Tom Wilson. Uh, you know, you, you bring people in and you have an idea of like what the interview is going to be and all that. And then the first off, the first thing to go is the idea of it being an interview. Um, and then it turns into a general conversation. Then you realize like, oh yes, these people have, they're famous for a reason because they're able to take over a room. And I don't mean that in, in like an obnoxious way. They just have so much charisma to them that it's just like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to let you go because people hear me enough. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed myself. Um, so yeah, thank you to him for that. Uh, I will now welcome in my co-host. His name is Josh. His last name, that's his first name though. His last name is long. Middle name is, hang on, hang on. That's correct. It's Josh. Hang on, hang on, hang on long. I've got so many jokes to make and I can't. <laughs> oh, I, okay. Oh, I almost want to head. Keep almost, in your head. I know. I almost want to stop recording so I can make all these <laughs> jokes. Um, okay. So, uh, Josh, thanks for being here. Hey, you're welcome. All right. Uh, so we've got places to be as evidenced by the, uh, <laughs> time we just wasted. Um, but actually before we do that, I do have a quick announcement. This is not a pressing thing by any stretch, but I did want to say that, um, more Than One Lesson will have a booth at the International Christian Film Festival in Orlando, and that will be in April. It'll be a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, and I think it's the 20, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, but don't quote me on that. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but yeah, so that's happening in, happening in April. I'm very excited. It's a, it's a, one of the larger film festivals and there were not, there will not be very many vendor booths. And so this will actually be a really great opportunity to connect with, uh, you know, Christians who love film and also, you know, Christians who might find this show interesting. And, uh, and I don't think there will be anything else quite like it at the festival. So I'm very excited to go. Uh, but of course it does cost money because I'm now at this point, I'm traveling to be there. This is different than alpha Omega con. I am booking a flight and renting a car. <laughs> so, um, so I'll say this, that if you wanted to help us out and uh, donate your car and donate your car and some plane tickets, that would be great. There you go. Um, but yeah, anything that you want that you, could donate to the show would be wonderful and greatly appreciated. Uh, and that would just, uh, I have no expectation of there being enough donations that this thing is paid for, but every little bit helps. And, uh, and I would really appreciate it. So moving on. So we're talking about best pictures. It's what we've, what we've, what we've been talking about for the last year or so. The best of pictures. That's what I think. Yes. And you know what, and you know, what's fun around this time of year we it always uh, we always get a week off from the usual progression to talk about That's the true. latest best Let's talk about something new so i may i may have to put off by have to i mean get to i may i may get to put off out of africa mm, um, maybe 
<laughs> we'll have La- to uh, last emperor i also haven't seen but that one i'm i'm excited i think you'll like that one i have no doubt that i will it's what i've seen of it looks beautiful um and i know a lot of critics really loved it whereas yeah. out of africa is one that has not aged i'm gonna say at all yeah. not to imply that it's timeless but no one thinks about it i remember so little about that one i honestly cannot say whether or not you might like that movie or yeah. whether or not anyone might like that movie i remember little to nothing about yeah. it, it takes and place in africa yeah, but they got to get out. I, I sure do. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's like, is it Snake Plissken's trying to get yeah, out of Africa? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, man, that John Carpenter had it figured out. Man. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm excited about that. But right now we're going to, the last one we talked about was Dancers with Wolves and it turned out to be a very interesting episode because, because of the version of the film that I watched, which was the director's cut or rather the extended edition, which is much better than the, than the theatrical. But today we're going to talk about uh, a movie that I had seen uh, scenes from here and there, but only recently watched all the way through, and that is Bruce Beresford's Driving Miss Daisy, which won Best Picture, Actress, Adapted Screenplay, and Makeup for 1989. Hmm. Now, I'm not even quite sure where to start with with this. Uh, Driving Miss Daisy is a film. What was it? Oh, recently when the Oscar nominations were announced mm-hmm. um, and the film Selma, though nominated for picture and song, people rightfully were angry that it was not nominated for more. Um, because when you nominate a movie for picture and song, it's a fair assumption. It's not going to win that picture Oscar. Mm. Um, it might win song though, although it's, it'll probably be uh, the song from the Lego movie, which is actually a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh and i remember spike lee commented on the whole affair and he mentioned uh his film from 1989 do the right thing which you and i have talked uh at length about on the show in the past mm-hmm. and he said nobody remembers driving miss daisy people will remember do the right thing and so he just kind of sort of as a way of uh sort of encouraging the filmmakers uh for selma that history will remember your film not eh, history will probably remember boyhood yeah um that's the thing i uh, yeah there are a few this year nominees that history will forget but i think whichever one wins which it's looking like it will probably be boyhood is not going to be one that everyone forgets right yeah yeah and so um so people will forget the imitation game i already have (laughs) except that music i really like that music and the lead performance but uh yeah, and so, and then Theory of Everything. Ugh, I guess I should see it. I haven't seen that one yet either. I don't. That and American Sniper are the two nominated for Best Picture I still need to see. Yeah, I haven't seen it. But ne- I know that neither one is going to win. There's no way that either of those ones is going right, to win. Right, So it, and it'll here's, feel... Here's one of the, here's how, one of the ways that you know. They're nominated for Picture, but they're not nominated for Director. Hmm. And that, and it, it's very rare that a picture wins when it's not nominated for a director. Yeah. One of the recent examples, Driving Miss Daisy. Bruce <laughs> Bre- Beresford was not nominated for a director. Yeah. And, um, Bruce Beresford is an interesting director because as time has gone on, he's done a lot of TV. He's done sort of your run of the mill thrillers, mm-hmm. but he is responsible for one of, one of the most understated and one of the best movies of the 80s, which is Tender Mercies, hmm, yeah. um, which is a movie that I love. And in watching Driving Miss Daisy, I actually appreciate that a great deal. It very much seems cut from the same cloth as Tender Mercies. It's I can see that. that. While being short, it does take its time. It lets the relationships unfold. It really allows the actors to to see you know what they can do with the with the role. Uh, it is based on a play 
and it feels like it, but it never feels confined like movies based on plays. You're saying Tender do. Mercies is? I'm sorry, uh, Driving Miss Driving Daisy, Daisy is, yes, is yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot to, there's a lot to discuss with Driving Miss Daisy, but the reason that I brought up that Spike Lee thing with Selma is that I think people look back on 89 as the year that Do the Right Thing wasn't nominated. Not yeah. the year that Driving Miss Daisy won. Yeah, that's true. And that is, it is weird looking, looking back that, uh, that it wasn't even nominated and maybe you know maybe it was a different time it's almost how many years ago now 26 yeah yeah so i I don't know that that might be enough of a different time sort of thing but uh but that that is surprising to me not even a nomination and spike lee was still a i mean this it, it here's the thing it still happens now that he was a young unproven filmmaker i mean he'd done some stuff before that but like he really kind of everyone started taking him seriously with this film but you know only now are we seeing wes anderson yeah who's been working for 15 years yeah. only now uh, more than that uh only now are we seeing him get recognition from the academy yeah so and when you look at the sort of movies that the academy was nominating and awarding around this time like yeah. on either side of this movie you've got rain man and you've got uh dances with dances wolves, with yeah. wolves both of which are similar movies in that uh they're 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 edgy in the safest way you can be edgy if that makes any sense um so like there's there are some questions in them but there's nothing kind of uh, nothing so uh uh fire starting maybe as as uh as uh do the right thing yeah and i feel like maybe now that we are officially into the 80s as a decade i mean it might not hurt to talk about that a little bit yeah which was you know because yes the politically the 70s, the 60s and 70s, but especially the 70s, were very tumultuous. You had the Vietnam War, you had Watergate, you had, you mm-hmm. know, and then in the late 60s, you had assassinations. I mean, it was yeah. horrible. Um, then the Reagan era started, and it was mourning in America. That was mm-hmm. the big thing. Yeah. And so, certainly, you had movies that were, you know, hard-hitting and all that. But if you look at the best pictures, it's so fascinating. They're pictures that make you feel pretty good and yeah. even and some of them i mean terms of endearment is a remarkably sad film right it's not depressing but it's still like everything feels like it has smooth edges yeah. if that makes sense yeah. like uh maybe the one exception being platoon platoon is definitely the exception but i think every other movie in that a lot of you get a lot of period pieces you get a lot of kind of like sweeping epic type things oh yeah um you get a lot of feel-good movies even if they're sad feel-good movies you know oh yeah yeah, it's it's an interesting decade, and and it's it's and that's one of the reasons that I like looking at the best pictures and at the Oscars in general is because it gives you. I mean, nobody. I mean, this is what we're talking about with Driving Miss Daisy versus Do the Right Thing, um, and Selma versus Boyhood, and and all these other things. Um, you know. Just because a movie wins Best Picture, that does not mean people are going to think of it as one of the best movies of all time, and certainly not necessarily the best movie of that year. Mm. Uh, but it does give you a snapshot of what the climate was as far as entertainment, which I think entertainment is often a reflection of the culture. Yeah. And so, okay, culture wanted Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. It was also, by the way, I think this is a conversation we've had before. 
it was a runaway financial hit driving Miss Daisy. Really? Like it did. I mean, of course, nothing was going to beat Batman that year. But yeah. It was crazy. It made tons of money. I wish I had it in front of me, but I, as I was doing research several weeks ago after I watched the film, I just thought, man, this was a different time. Yeah, it really was. And, and, and I mean, you can see the other movies that were nominated. I don't know if we, we want to talk about those already. We don't have to go into depth about them, but, right. but just the kind of movies that were nominated. The Dead Poet Society, Field of Dreams, My Left Foot. Yeah. Um, Born on the Fourth of July is the other one. That's, that's probably the outlier, but. Yes. I mean, look at the rest of those. They're all kind of like, kind of feel goody even if two of those are sad movies yeah born on the fourth um, of july is d- definitely the outlier there right so yeah. it's you know it's oliver stone he doesn't make feel good movies except yeah. the world trade center <laughs> but um yeah no you're absolutely right and it's it's funny too that the sorry no go ahead but uh the the whole impetus more recently to create uh more i guess to allow more films to be nominated for best picture seem to be driven by like the impetus seemed to be why don't the movies that make money ever be the ones that are nominated yeah. and apparently this was the case like back yeah. then field uh uh driving miss daisy made a ton of money like well the, I, those kind of movies were the ones that were making a bunch of money i mean probably about 15 20 years ago is when i think it really started to change and the prestige picture was only going to get so much money from the studio, but then they've got their big blockbuster tentpole film, and that is what people would see. Yeah. And and maybe, I think, probably as special effects got better, and with each new year, it's, oh my gosh, look at, you know, look at Independence Day. We've never seen anything like that. Look at yeah. Jurassic Park. We've never seen anything like that. Those are the money makers, and... There started and it started to diverge more and more. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you still get, but in the nineties, you still get stuff like Forrest Gump, which made tremendous amount of, yeah. uh, tremendous amount of money. But now I think what with, you know, I don't want to be somebody who, who complains about sequel culture or comic book movie culture because within that you can still get really great film. Yeah. But that's the, those are the money makers now. I mean, like if you look at the last, I'm going to say 10 years. With the exception of, you know what, I don't like Avatar, but what I will say is that it wasn't based on anything. Yeah, it was original. It is an original, well, I mean, (laughs) I specified specified it's not based on anything. (laughs) It's not original at all. Um, But, uh, but yeah, and so, and, and I'm at, what is it? Uh, There's a movie coming out, I think, in, in a few weeks called Jupiter Ascending. Uh, which is the, the, uh, Wachowski siblings new movie. Yeah. And so, and I remember there are a lot of people saying like, in fact, our, our friend Joel was saying, Hey, it's not based on anything else. I'm excited just yeah. for that. If I thought else. the same thing, like I, I may not like it. It may just seem the same yeah. as another comic book movie, but I think it's interesting that it's based on something else. And at least like, <laughs> you have to put some kind of element in, of thought, at least into some things like that. Cause you don't know all of the pre, yeah. like you don't know the, all the rules already. Yeah. Um, which you already do with like a Superman or something like that. Like, and the closest, I mean, the closest that we've seen recently is guardians of the galaxy, which is based on something, but there's not, it's not Spider-Man. It's not Superman. I didn't know who any of those characters were. Yeah. Like you have to be a hard line comic book aficionado to know who the guardians of the galaxy are. Whereas most people know who Iron Man is and Thor and, and that kind yeah. of thing and the Hulk. And so, um, speaking of that same, in that same kind of vein, uh, do you know how boyhood did this year? I don't know how it did. I think that'd be interesting because that seems like one of those ones that maybe is kind of breaking beyond the, uh, uh, I'm sure it didn't make close to as much money as something like guardians of the galaxy did, but 
maybe it did well in the box office. I'd be curious to see if that was the case with that one. Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to say because I actually pay so little attention to box office. I don't care that much about it, but I should mm-hmm. because, you know, we're talking about best pictures as, you know, the indicator of what culture thought box office is also that. Yeah. And there was a time a few years ago when I actually start, when I would look over the, uh, look back over a year and see what won each weekend and just look at that little 52 week tapestry mm-hmm. and think, all right, this is what culture wanted this year and it's and it's so fat and it that's really interesting to do because every once in a while you know during the summer you'll see the expected things but every once in a while you'll see a movie that just sort of broke through like what's happening with american sniper right now yeah it's making like 200 million dollars and nobody expected that at all yeah um but yeah anyway sorry we're talking about all this stuff everything except driving miss daisy (laughs) um but that's the thing is so I, yeah, we got it. We have to try and get into the mentality of the eighties, which was positivity. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish that I was an adult then and could remember what drove people to the box office. Yeah. I mean, stuff like ET and, and Indiana Jones, that stands to reason based on what we know now. It, it could have been star power. Cause like star power was different then than it is now because you couldn't get the same star power on TV that you could get at the movies. That's true. Then, that's true. Now that's not necessarily the case when you have Kevin Spacey headlining a show. Yeah. It's not even actually on TV TV. Yeah. Um, the things are different. Yeah. And but, yeah, uh, that's true. And, and at this point, even without the star power TV, I think is just, and it was, you know, obviously it was big in the, it was big in the eighties as well. Stuff like cheers and mash and yeah. that kind of thing, but there were just fewer options. Mm-hmm. And so it's, Hey, I've heard good things about this driving Miss Daisy movie. Let's go out rather than stay home and watch Manimal again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Manimal was still on at that point. And so, uh, but as far as the film itself, so it's about this older Jewish woman played by Jessica Tandy in the South, the rural South. And, uh, she has a great deal of money. Her son, uh, has even more money as a successful business owner. And she's getting up in years and she, and this is, I think it starts in, I think the 1930s. Yeah. Um, maybe even, maybe even before that, actually, I don't quite recall. But, um, but yeah, so she's, she can't really be relied upon to drive herself so much anymore. And so, uh, 30, maybe it's the fifties. I feel like it might be late. It's no earlier than the thirties. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might be fifties. Um, but, uh, and so her son hires a driver and it's an older African-American gentleman and she is older and set in her ways. He's a little older and set in his, but at the same time, he's also an employee, so he has to be very obliging. And it's just about the friendship that develops between these two characters. And it is a delightful little film filled with really great dialogue. Once again, it's based on a play. Not that every play has great dialogue, but mm-hmm. plays tend to be more reliant on dialogue. Yeah. And so, uh, and just the way Bruce Beresford directs it, it just, he just lets it sit. He lets things breathe. He lets the humor come naturally. He doesn't force it. I feel like he's not being condescending. I think these days people would look at the at the character of the driver played by Morgan Freeman. His character's name is Hoke. Um, I think people would look at that character and say, oh, look at him. He's such a, you know, they'd probably use words like Uncle Tom. Like, yeah. look how obliging he is. Look how nice he is to her and all that. Um, and I think maybe this was made before that mentality and we just saw that he's a genuinely decent man who's trying to do 
his job as best he can and care for her. And then she comes to care for him. And both characters are sort of brought out of their comfort zone um, and really bond with one another. And it really it's it's a very touching just wonderful little film. I really like it. I mean, when's the last time you saw it? It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember it being nice. You yeah. know, like that's a good, that's a good word for it. I think. Yeah. It's, it's a nice movie. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that maybe that's not the most compelling, but when you have really good actors performing really good material and a director that is, that is willing to trust them and the audience to pay attention, mm-hmm you get a really nice movie that is not going to be remarkably challenging, but with this isn't crash, you know, yeah. this isn't, this is not one of those movies that people look at and say, how did that ever win best picture? This is, this is a compelling film. It's not do the right thing. Compelling. Yeah. It's not born on the 4th of July compelling, mm-hmm. but it is extremely watchable. And I, you know, uh, one thing that we talk about, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but one thing that we talk about with our best of pictures is that if somebody said, hey, I'm going to watch this movie, would we warn them away? If somebody said, I'm going to watch Driving Miss Daisy, I'd say, great, I'm glad that somebody's watching it, Mm because it's not a film that people remember. Yeah. And it deserves to be remembered. Yeah. Um, And it's one of the films that, you know, Jessica Tandy, it's, uh, she was older, she did not live much longer. Uh, mm. after this film but it is kind of the film that launched morgan freeman as an actor he had been nominated a couple years before for for glory, street smart maybe no he wasn't nominated for glory um denzel washington won best supporting actor this year for glory but morgan freeman was in glory he was in it yeah and driving miss daisy the same year, the same year. the year a uh, couple years before maybe the year before uh morgan freeman was nominated for best supporting actor for a film called street smart that kind of put him on the map and he'd been in a few things here and there. Uh, and then this and glory really said, really kind of announced, this is a, a major talent yeah. and you should pay attention to him. And, at the, and from then on, I think he was a household name. Yeah. And he, he really does do great work. Um, as does Jessica Tandy, who manages to, it can be very difficult playing like a curmudgeon yeah. because then you don't want to play too much into that type. But yeah, there's also, a lot of kind of obvious steps to take. So to put something yeah. else into that role without just being another one of what we've yeah. seen before can be difficult. Um, what I will say, and I don't say this lightly, among the things... Okay, so it was nominated for Best Actor for Morgan Freeman, Best Supporting Actor for Dan Aykroyd, Best Art Direction, Costume Design, and Editing. Supporting Actor for Dan Aykroyd, it should not have been nominated really i love dan Aykroyd. i love the blues brothers i love ghostbusters i love his creative mind he was a big part of of what made me uh love movies when i was younger like he was a staple of the 80s and maybe his maybe his presence in this film helped get it made um he gets better as the film goes on but as much as Jessica Tandy and Morgan Freeman just settle into their roles and just inhabit them, I see nothing but artificiality hmm. with him. He seems self-conscious. He's doing an accent. He does it well. He does it consistently. But just the way he puts his hands on his hips, the way he does the accent, the way he carries himself, I always, I'll, I'll quote an old uh, acting teacher of mine, I'm always seeing the strings. I'm seeing the actor make a decision. Hmm that this is how I'm going to stand because this is how my character would stand. And it really, his scenes, 
it they took me at he's i'll say this i don't like again i don't like to speak ill in these terms but he's very much outclassed by the other two he's out of his league he does get better as the film goes on and i think it's because he's under makeup Hmm. because they you know they make his hair thin they they he's not like caked under makeup it's not jay edgar uh but they make him look a little younger and i wonder if perhaps that made him feel a little bit safer Hmm. and he could just sort of i don't know he he wasn't just exposed in a part that maybe he didn't feel totally comfortable in he could now being you know being somebody who was beldar conehead and and had been uh, a comedic actor who was used to a certain type of makeup maybe he felt a little bit more at ease and so by the end he's i don't know it's it's hard to say but uh but that is one aspect of the film that it's not horrible it's not unwatchable it's not uh sophia coppola and the godfather three um <laughs> but it is something where it's like mm, a better actor could have really done more with that character hmm. i wonder if it's one of those sort of things where um you know there have been times throughout the years when a comedic actor plays a dramatic part and everybody yeah everybody kind of goes crazy over it like I, steve carell and foxcatcher this yeah, year. yeah yeah that sort of thing has happened before so i wonder if it was just I wonder if it's that sort of thing more than anything. That people were interested in seeing him in a dramatic role. Oh, absolutely! And it's not like his. It's not like it's high drama. It certainly is. It's not Foxcatcher. Yeah. And yeah. nor would it be uh, like Robert Downey Jr. as Chaplin a couple years later, mm-hmm. which incidentally featured Dan Aykroyd as Max Sennett, um, hmm. in another actually surprisingly artificial role. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it was just people were the, the Academy was excited about this film and saw it very much as it's these three people yeah. and uh we should nominate all of them but obviously he's not the lead so we'll nominate him for supporting he won't win the end um and i don't like spending that much time on it but when there's really only three main characters and one of them is not played as perfectly as the other two mm-hmm. it really does stick out to me but again it is still a film that i highly recommend i think it's great i'm very happy that i saw it However, he is playing a character named Booley. Yes, that's right. Yeah, they all have. Uh, <laughs> there's a Hoke, Daisy, Booley, Florine, and Idella. This is based on a play. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so the other best picture nominees we already mentioned them: Born on the Fourth of July, Dead Poet Society, Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot. Now, I haven't seen My Left Foot. I've heard it's great. Um, I've seen. Did the he other- win that year? He won that year, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. And I believe Brenda Fricker won a supporting actress for it as well. The he, by the way, is Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, sorry. (laughs) We should specify. Yeah, Um, Daniel Day-Lewis was in My Left Foot. He plays a... a, Was he an artist? I've seen it. I think so, yeah. He could only move his left foot. Right. Um, It is... In many ways, it's kind of that standard Oscar-type thing. And I'm sure his performance probably transcends that. I I think it does. I haven't seen it for some time, but I I do remember thinking that. I don't love the movie. It's very... It feels dreary. Um, But like... Well, I like that. You you might like it. It feels like... (laughs) There's different types of dreary, too. It's not like dread or depressing dreary. It's more like rainy day dreary. Again, with the whole 80s thing. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I would... Because everything about it seems like, oh, isn't this inspirational? I would like actual dreary if there was yeah. something... I, like, I think there is actual dreariness to it, but okay. it doesn't feel like... Uh, it doesn't feel as... Uh, I don't know. It doesn't feel depressing. It doesn't feel as dark as maybe a story like that could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, of the of these films, I'm not a fan of 
Dead Poet Society. Yes, I recognize I'm basically the only one. Uh, I think it's really, I think it's really cliche. I think I, I just don't like the film that much. Yeah. Um, I'm not a lot crazy of people, about it either. You know, it got, when Robin Williams, uh, died, it got something of a resurgence. Mm-hmm. And Jen watched it, uh, cause she likes it. And, uh, and I walked in and watched a couple scenes and remind and remembered, Oh yeah. Okay. I'm leaving. Uh, because it's just, it's such a, you know what? Actually, that's not true. I'm not the only one that doesn't like it. Roger, Roger Ebert didn't like it. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I remember he said that this is a film about like a great teacher, but a great teacher should. And actually it was this opinion that got me thinking about like what a critic should be. Mm. A critic should not point to themselves. A critic should point to the films and, you might be able to, you might appreciate the way they do it, but ultimately they should help you to love film. And in the same way, the, uh, the, the teacher character in, in Dead Poet Society, he should teach, like, we should be in love with reading and poetry, but instead we're just in love with him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I feel like that's a really good way to sum up that film. But anyway, uh, so I don't love Dead Poet Society. I do have, I have a huge, uh, like soft spot in my heart for field of dreams. It's a really fun, ambitious, maybe not fun, but it's an ambitious, sentimental melodramatic film that never, that never questions itself and is completely earnest and committed. And that's not insincere. And of course that can be a bad thing, but I like so much of how it is written and how it's pulled off that I don't think I, I don't necessarily love the film, but I do, I have a tremendous respect for it mm-hmm. partially because of all the actors involved. Yeah. Um, I like Kevin Costner. I really love James Earl Jones in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like field of dreams? I actually dislike field. of Dreams. I could see you <laughs> hating it. Cause you're like one of those people, one of those yeah. uh, jerks. Yes. Yes. That's the one. Yeah. I just got my jerk card and I was like, well, yeah. better throw out my copy of field of dreams. There you go. Yeah. Um, I used no. to love this movie. <laughs> I mean, I agree with the, uh, with it having a sincerity. I agree with it not questioning itself. I feel like those are a lot of things that I just, I, the way, I don't know. I, I don't like it for a lot of those reasons. And I can see someone enjoying the way it plays out and not, you know, not caring about that sort of thing. I can see that fine. I, I think there are too many things in it that make me, that pull me out of it. It's actually a film that I came to appreciate more as I got older, really? even though I had seen it young and liked it young. I like it more now because, okay, this, I haven't said something really film nerdy in a while. This is pretty film nerdy. Okay. Uh, when I took my class on, when I took a class on Michael Powell, Mm-hmm. and the way that he employed magical realism. Okay. Um, and then of course came when I came to appreciate uh, certain uh, like Spanish and Mexican directors and the yeah. way they would use magical realism. Yeah. I came to really like what field of dreams does. And mm-hmm. cause I, you know, I would talk to people who said like, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? It's like, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And like, but did it really happen? It's like, kind of i don't Maybe. know and that's okay i yeah. like that i like the way that it uses its mysticism and doesn't feel the need to explain itself mm-hmm. all the time um and it's nice seeing burt lancaster that's uh, right is he one of, he's uh who's he play i forget he's a, an old uh doctor who could have been a uh, that's right yeah. that's right he could have been a baseball player and he didn't but um yeah but anyway, so uh, Ray Liotta doesn't he play one of the Ray Liotta's uh, she's the baseball player Shoeless Joe Jackson? I believe he's Shoeless Joe or maybe he's who plays Kevin Costner's father? 
I think Ray Liotta might be Shoeless Joe, but I, now I don't remember who plays uh, Kevin Costner's father. But anyway, I like the movie, but I do recognize that it's just it's it is not by any stretch a perfect film. Hmm. But I kind of am I ambitious go ambition goes yeah. a long way for me and i and feel it, like it's a film that has some ambition i mean there's something i can see it being nominated because it feels very american it's about baseball it's about like yeah the good old days like i don't know yeah um there's a, this the sentimentality is definitely something that's in yeah. there uh of the best picture nominees the one that i would as much as i like driving miss daisy uh born on the fourth of july is the one that i would probably go with that's the one that i haven't seen oh really oh boy uh yeah that's the one that uh it won best director for oliver stone um it is well i was gonna say uh it's the film that put tom cruise on the map dramatically but that's not true he was in rain man the year before but he got his first oscar nomination for that and it's about a a former uh, it's about a vietnam vet who you know who just unquestioningly unquestioningly loved his you know the u.s and he goes and he signs up to go to vietnam because he's a hundred percent on board with what's happening over there and then once he's there he sees that hey maybe this wasn't such a great thing and then he uh is uh crippled and you know he's stuck in a wheelchair basically the the rest of his life and so he becomes an anti-war activist and it really i feel like you know, in the midst of all this positivity of the 80s, Oliver mm-hmm. Stone seemed to be the only one that said, hey, maybe this isn't so great. <laughs> he was kind of the naysayer. And, and, but this is, but at the same time, I feel like there genuinely is a frustrated idealism to Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. I feel like, especially with this film, I think you watch it and you see, cause he went to Vietnam, but, and, and you feel like this is a man who so desperately wants to embrace everything about this country, but also recognizes that it's not perfect and he wishes it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of born on the 4th of July. Uh, so those are the best, those are the best pictures. Other note, there are a number of very notable movies that came out in 1989. Um, very few of them are best picture material. Yeah. But, uh, you know, th- my vote for best picture of that year is do the right thing. Yeah. Probably I think that's too. an amazing film. Um, but other notable movies came out such as what about the burbs. I love the burbs. It is a fun yeah. movie. <laughs> um, but glory, the little mermaid, uh, Roger and me. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Michael Moore. In fact, I'm not a fan of Michael Moore, but I do like that first film, even though it's full of lies. Um, <laughs> say anything came out that year. Heather's crimes and misdemeanors, sex, lies, and videotape. When Harry met Sally, the abyss, Batman. Uh, Oh, the, uh, I don't know if it, yeah, the Decalogue, which I guess was a TV thing, but that was, yeah. you know, Kieselowski was doing some pretty amazing things. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic piece of art. It's the sort of thing that could never really be a Oscar contender, yeah. really, because it doesn't, I don't know, doesn't fit the mold at all. But it's a very, for those who don't know at all what it is, it's a, it was a series of about an hour long short films the 10 of them each one being based on one of the 10 commandments and kind of right. uh, exploring the idea of that commandment and what it means and how it plays out but not being super overt about what the commandment is no not really like being kind of cagey about it yeah sometimes it's even a little if you don't if you don't know which one it is going in it can kind of be hard to uh to uh figure out deduce is the word i was looking nice for. um but yeah, and so, uh, there are, and I never saw a cinema parody, so I know that there are people that love it. I've seen that one. Uh, that's, that again, 80s. It's a very sentimental, yeah. uh, Italian movie. And um, I think it might have won Best Foreign Film that year. I, I think so. I think um, you're correct. 
there's a film by Peter Green- Greenaway that I'm a big fan of called The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> I have not seen it, and I want to see it more because of its uh, infamy than anything else. Um, I remember that, uh, who was it? It might have been Gene Shalit, but I- I'm not sure. Some other film critic at the time said, people are calling this film art. I have a friend named Art, and he says this film is trash. <laughs> I don't I know. Kinda, if, I disagree, but I love that. <laughs> I know. Um, I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but that was that the idea. seems like a Gene Shalit. <laughs> um, no, it's a it's a great movie. I really love it. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If you have the opportunity to see it. Uh, by the way, uh, beware. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's there's uh, a reason that certain people would call it trash. Yeah. It is. Uh, there are images that are unsettling not easy to watch and maybe disgusting even yes yeah unsettling is a way of <laughs> and uh unpleasant is another way of putting and mm-hmm. yet still kind of funny at times um but uh yeah. but yeah and so i feel like um and then oh I'm, i i jumped over uh, henry v the uh, kenneth Branagh film oh yeah um and so there were a lot of great movies this year and there's several filmmakers making their debut this year aren't they was that uh kenneth Bano's first film as the director i don't know it was it was among his first yeah. but it might actually be his first but then that's michael moore's first film is roger and me sex yeah. lies and videotape is uh steven soderbergh's first yeah. film i don't know if there are any others here but well uh, and you've got stuff like um say anything mm-hmm. which is uh cameron crow i believe no say anything shoot who's say anything oh this is killing me is that not right? I think you might be right. I think I might be right, but I'm not 100%. Uh, but I think this is the... He had written things before, but I think this is the first thing he directed as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's uh, this was a big year for movies that would go on to be remembered and filmmakers turning out really good stuff. Yeah. You know? And you can see those few filmmakers that we just met. Well, maybe not all, but at least Michael Moore and, uh, and uh, Steven Soderbergh yeah. uh, were ones that w- would go on to be a little more what we understand is like the 90s filmmakers oh, yeah. uh, they would come more to uh to typify that era yeah and um so it's interesting to see how how different these films are than the films that were actually winning that year well and it also solidified the bankability the very unlikely bankability of tim burton yeah uh, who had done Wee's big adventure he did beetlejuice which was a big hit that year. Uh, but then he does Batman and suddenly the era of Tim Burton is ushered in as is the, co- the commercial viability of the superhero film. Yeah. Which didn't, I mean, you look at it now and it seems actually kind of cute, uh, to look at like 1989 to 94. I'm going to say six and see, Oh, look at all these superhero movies compared to now. There's almost, it's like a ghost town. Yeah. Uh, but it is amazing just how many we're trying to, you know, how many studios are trying to capture that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's, it's a really interesting year. And of course this is the year we're starting on the eighties, but this is the end of the Mm eighties. Um, and I think maybe you dip into with 1990 dances with wolves, you kind of dip into that the year at 91. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs, after that, Unforgiven. Okay, we're done yeah. with the happy stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Driving Miss Daisy uh, is a movie that I really like. I recommend it highly if you haven't seen it. But I would say Born on the Fourth of July, Do the Right Thing, and, and a handful of other movies are better, and I'd say make those more of a priority. Yeah. So I would agree. 
All right. I think we will leave it at that. Thank you all for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>